Welcome to the freaking after party. Today's conversation with Floating Kulats is reserved exclusively for our Patreon supporters. But guess what? Not today. Today, we are going to be talking with Charlie Jane Anders about her work, her prolific writing career, and how much I love her books. Aww, <laughs> so thank you. We're going to make this public for everyone because I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Charlie Jane. Hi. We, uh, hi. <laughs> it's like we haven't been talking for the last hour. Um, I want to know how you like became a writer. Like you started at io9, right? And then like, but how did you become a novelist? Like, can you tell us a little bit about your origin stories? Yeah, actually. So I was writing fiction before I went to work at io9. And, you know, I had always had kind of day jobs, mostly doing kind of other kinds of writing for, for money. And like I was doing some kind of more businessy journalism before I got uh, scooped up and hired to work on io9 with Anna Lee and, and all those folks. Um, I've been writing fiction, gosh, for like 20 years now, which is kind of ridiculous and bizarre. And it's hard to even believe I've been doing it that long. And I actually had published a novel back in 2005, which won the Lambda Literary Award for Best Transgender Gender queer, gender nonconforming writing, whatever whatever terms they were using nice. back in two thousand five, right? And right. Uh, was shortlisted for the Edmund White First Novel Award. So I was like, I was kind of like a very, you know, I was kind of making, I was making some waves in queer literary circles in the early to mid two thousands, and I, I was published in a lot of like queer and you know trans and like kind of generally sex positive and also just like random literary anthologies and stuff before before io9 and i always wanted to write science fiction and i had tried i had written a lot of science fiction and fantasy with very limited success i would say and then during the time that i was working on io9 actually i think that part of what happened while i was working on that site was i was getting paid to kind of geek out about science fiction and fantasy and think about like what works and what doesn't work and like how how stories function and it was like almost I always say it was like getting paid to go to grad school and I think that it made me better at thinking about science fiction and also I think better at writing science fiction and fantasy like it it's it taught me a lot and so mm-hmm. I wrote a bunch of novels during that time that never came out and then finally towards the end of my time at at io9 I wrote all the birds in the sky which did come out right around the time I left so uh, that was kind of like treated as my debut novel even though it was actually my second published novel and it was actually like my sixth novel that I had written and tried to get published. Oh my God. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Well, so um, all of your books or the, okay, I'm going to correct myself now. The three books that I've read of yours, All the Birds in the Sky, The City in the Middle of the Night, and now Victory is Greater Than Death are all very different. Um, and I, I, but the, the, I, there's such a magic to all of them. And, and Aww. one thing that I, really love so there's so many things I love but one thing I want you to talk about is that in all of them you do such a wonderful job of of creating these incredible worlds that are like you know genre-y and magical and and I mean that in in the largest sense of the term not like actual magic um and well actually <laughs> sometimes um but th- you're able to infuse politics into these worlds, um, whether it is like, you know, like identity politics, whether it's about climate change or like stress around technology, like technological growth and all of that in a way that feels seamless with the story. Um, And I think that a lot of writers struggle with like 
I am now going to tell you about the world, but in metaphor, you know, and you're like, oh, my God. And like, you just have such a way of making it feel so natural in your worlds that like it, it doesn't even feel like you're being kind of taught a thing, (laughs) if that's fair to say. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about how you do that? (laughs) Yeah. Or how you think about it? Well, thank you so much. I mean, I think that, you know, it comes out of a bunch of decisions that you make as you're writing. And, you know, I think that if you try to impose like a theme or, you know, a thesis from top down onto the story, it often does go wrong. But I often do start with an idea in my head of like, I want to write about like these kinds of ideas. And I want to kind of, these are some of the things that I'm kind of personally kind of struggling with in my own head that I want to kind of get in there. But I try to keep it personal and I try to keep it like an obsession that feels personal to me, but also feels personal to the characters. And I always say that like in terms of theme, which I think is part of politics, part of the politics of the story, the best way for a theme to emerge from a work is if it's something that the characters are obsessing about and having arguments about. Mm. And if it's something that, you know, the character that, that, emerges from their preoccupations and the the decisions that they're struggling with and the things that they're kind of, you know, arguing about. And if you can keep it rooted in the characters, it's not going to feel like the author is coming in with like a giant mallet. But also you make decisions with world building. Even if you're writing a story that takes place in quote unquote, the real world, you're still going to make decisions about who the characters are and where they live and what kind of jobs they have and what kind of you know, situation they have overall. And those decisions all become political very quickly because they have to do with, you know, who does what kind of work and how is that work compensated and how are people treated? And, you know, like City in the Middle of the Night, you know, I wanted to start it off with something that, you know, is kind of like the classic, like we see this character right at the moment that their life falls apart. And in the case of Sophie, her life falls apart because she takes the blame for stealing some stuff that uh, actually her roommate stole and the cops haul her away. And the cops hauling her away was just basically, in my mind, it was kind of like another function of this was part of the world, her world falling apart. But, you know, when you look back at that, it really does become, you know, and it's a scary thing for her in the moment. And it's like an emotionally intense thing. But it's also saying something about the cops and the nature of policing and, and violence and the ways that different people are treated differently by the law. And that is a thing that is embedded in that story that I didn't at any point go, oh, I'm going to make a point here. You know, it just, it felt like it was, that was part of the story I was telling, I guess. Yeah, no, that that really makes sense. Thank you for illuminating that. Well, so like, let's, let's get in a little bit with with this um, into victories greater than death, because um, I think that, it would be one. This is your first YA novel, so there's that. Yeah. Um, is that correct? Did yeah. one of those six books that you wrote <laughs> secretly were YA? No, no. This is this is the okay. first YA. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's something about this that is distinctly different than your other books, and it might be more in terms of like you know the the kind of story you're telling or audience you're speaking to. Even though I would argue that all three of these books are so wildly different from each other, um, this one feels like, um more of an envisioning of a of a like a a community and a world that is like a kind of a dream world in some ways even though it exists in the backdrop of struggle um when we're talking about making media political i think that envisioning a future or envisioning a life that is greater than it is now is part of that and we just kind of forget that like 
the other coin of dystopia is utopia. And I don't mean that that's what this is, but that like thinking through what we want relationships to look like, what we want society to look like. And I think you do some of that in this book. Well, thank you so much. And you know, I mean, I as I was working on Victory is Greater Than Death, which I started writing, I guess, in the spring of 2016. Gosh, it's been a while. So five years ago when I started working on it, you know, I was like, I wanted this to be like a fun escapist space opera. And the more I thought about like the escapist part of that and the kind of like, I think that wish fulfillment in fiction sometimes gets a bad rap. Like people are like, oh, wish fulfillment is dirty and kind of, you know, it's it's de- it's a degraded form of writing because it's like, you know, writing should all be about like things that are hard and terrible and people should just suffer endlessly. And I'm like, you know, I think wish fulfillment, A, if you look at any popular piece of entertainment in the world, it's usually made up of 99% wish fulfillment. Like if you look at superhero stories and like, you know, most of like the the big franchises and big kind of media stuff, we love it because it's wish fulfillment and because it's like, yes, I want to go like live on a spaceship in the middle of nowhere and get away from my terrible life. And like, or I want to get in the TARDIS or I want to like go off and blow up the Death Star. And there's nothing wrong with wish fulfillment. And so I was thinking about that a lot. And, you know, as we kind of slid into what's been a really, really terrible, like four or five years um, since I started working on the book, I increasingly thought of the wish fulfillment aspect in terms of like a world where people are really there for each other and where mm. we have each other's backs and friendship is important and, and is magical and is kind of like is is going to save us. And, you know, stuff kind of kept coming out of that. Like people have commented on the fact that in this in this particular book, nobody touches anybody else without without asking permission first, which, you know, if you want to hug somebody, you're like, can, do you want, is it okay to hug you? And obviously if there's a fight scene, they don't go, is it okay to punch you now? Can I punch, is, you know, <laughs> that's, that's not a thing that happens. But other than in fight scenes, which, you know, are a very specific thing, everything is like, there's explicit consent for touching and explicit consent for other stuff. And, um, but I felt like that was a piece of like, wish fulfillment for me and like people automatically getting your pronouns right no matter what was a piece of wish fulfillment which is another thing uh, in the book yes and just like, i yeah. love the way you did that in the book which i uh i don't know if we should give away but it's done very 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 interestingly and thoughtfully and i'm just like why has nobody ever done this before <laughs> yay thank so you good. can you just give us a quick synopsis i'm sorry that i didn't do this before we started talking about it but a quick synopsis of what the book is about Yeah, so Victory's Greater Than Death is basically about a teenage girl named Tina who um, is the clone of an alien hero who died before she was born. And so they cloned her and hid the like baby clone on Earth disguised as a human. And Tina knows that when she is old enough, when she reaches maturity, her she'll be ready to rejoin her people in the stars. And so, you know, she has this like little kind of homing beacon inside her body that's going to light up and like bring people to come rescue her when she's ready. And she cannot wait. She's just like, I want to go now. Why isn't this already happening? I want to get the heck off this planet. And, you know, she's like impatient, basically. And she has all these ideas about like how she's going to go and be awesome and save people. And she's kind of trying to do that on Earth already. Like she's trying to be a hero on Earth. But, you know, when she gets up into space with her best friend, Rachel, and some other kids from Earth, she quickly finds that it's not what she was expecting in a bunch of different ways. And that, you know, living up to this legacy and this kind of, you know, this 
destiny that she has waiting for her is not as easy or as straightforward as she thought it was going to be. And that's that's basically, I guess, without getting too spoilery, that's where I got to leave it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you, can you talk about like how you, I don't know, a bit of your process of like coming up with the story? Like it's very... Um, you know, you've been put on a lot of like queer novels for young people lists because like there's a lot of stuff around identity and uh, gender in this. Um, but, you know, masked in that not masked, but in that beautiful sort of genre kind of way, um, you know, like was that a core piece of why you wanted to tell this story? You know, I feel like that just kind of came out organically as I was writing it. And I think. I didn't originally think of this as a particularly queer story. Like I was sort of like, oh, you know, she's she and her best friend are going to go off into space and have adventures. And, you know, I think it just as I was writing it, it was a combination of like, again, the wish fulfillment aspect, like the more queer it got, the more it felt like it was my personal brand of wish fulfillment. And also writing for young people, I felt like especially in this day and age when when young queer people and young trans people are under so much pressure and kind of under threat, it felt really important to me to kind of model queerness, queer family and queer acceptance and like being there for each other and, you know, just holding each other up. And, you know, I ended up just a lot of the characters in the book, pretty much almost all of them human characters in the book ended up being queer just because that was just what how it turned out. And I was like, I remember being like, is this going to bite me in the, in the butt? Am I going to get in trouble for this? And figuring, well, if you're going to do it anywhere, young adult is a good place to do it because teenagers grew up with being very comfortable with queerness thanks to the internet. They're to- like stuff that would freak out adults is just going to be like Tuesday to a lot of you know teenagers. <laughs> and I didn't at all ever think that, you know, the book was going to be coming out at a time like right now when, you know, I mean, I I retrospectively am very grateful to like 2017 me for making all these choices to make the book so queer because now it feels like a book that, you know, I really, I, re- I want to be coming out with a book right now that's like, yay, queer kids, yay, trans kids. Like at this particular moment, I feel like that's a thing that, you know, I I feel lucky or, you know, just like the timing worked out that way. And, you know, I hope that it's helpful to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I'm, I'm wondering now that like, I don't know, you are, uh, when I look at the canon of your books and your writing, they do all feel very different. And I'm wondering like how you think about all of this work together. Like, do you, you know, does it all feel like an evolution and a building on each other? Does it feel like just sort of like tiptoeing into all these different directions that you're excited about? I mean, to some extent, when I look back at like the trajectory of my novels, especially, it feels a little bit like I'm stumbling around, kind of bang, like knocking into walls a little bit. Um, <laughs> there's not really ever like a plan. I think with City in the Middle of the Night, there was a definite feeling of I wanted you saying very different from all the birds in the sky, partly because I did a lot of the groundwork. I did a lot of work on City in the Middle of the Night before all the birds in the sky came out and was honestly would not have been surprised if all the birds of the sky had been like a huge epic fail. Like I was just like, people might think this book is too silly and weird and quirky and just kind of too kind of out there and too whatever. And so I'm going to just as a blackout plan, I'm going to, it's like, if I was like, if people like all the birds of the sky, I can be like, well, here's this completely different thing that I did. 
maybe you'll like this too. And if people don't like it, I can be like, wait, come back. I've got this other thing. And so I was really hedging my bets a lot, like on purpose. I was, and I, I didn't want to be sort of pigeonholed as like the kind of, you put in a, a $20 bill and you always get out the same kind of like a vending machine where you just always get out the same like package every single time. It's just always going to be quirky and funny and cute and like kind of a cute, a cute relationship story at the center. I wanted to do something a little different and I wanted to kind of stretch myself because I felt like I had been relying on humor too much to kind of get me past some of the weaknesses in my writing. So I was like, I'm going to write a book that's a, that's less funny and more other stuff. And so that was sitting in the middle of the night and then Victory is Greater Than Death. I kind of went veered in the other direction was like, I'm going to be really funny and silly and weird, but more kind of emotional and more voice, more voicey, more first person, more young adult. I feel like I just am always trying to kind of reinvent myself a little bit, partly to stretch my own writing muscles and partly so that I don't ever get like trapped in like a thing of like, you only write one thing and we don't really need that one thing right now. So bye. And um, I'm really actually as a little bit of a plug, I'm actually kind of looking forward to that short story collection that I have coming out in November, uh, Even Greater Mistakes. I'm looking forward to that coming out because that book really, I feel like, kind of runs the gamut of all the different kinds of fiction writing I've done from like extremely silly, like just kind of like what is even happening, like just kind of clown car silly to uh, very serious, very kind of like intense and scary and, you know, kind of not a lot of humor at all. And it kind of, it, and it goes through a lot of other stuff too. And it feel like that's the book that really, I feel like kind of conveys where I'm at as a writer more than any other book I've put out so far. You were talking about how you were worried about there being all like all these queer characters as the like primary characters in your book. And when you were talking about that, I was like, man, we've had centuries of stories where it's all hetero mm-hmm. or like all dudes or all whatever. And it's just, I, I completely understand and and have compassion for the anxiety around that. But I'm also frustrated that that's still something that we even have to think about that like that it would be weird or concerning or maybe a financial failure if we have these stories that are just like all queer or all, you know, anyone that's not white, white dudes, you know, mm-hmm. that's all. I just wanted to rant about heteronormativeness. Um, I. <laughs> You were talking about like your weaknesses in writing and I, I one of the questions or one of the things I was interested in is a little bit about your process like I just I'm an I'm such a nerd I love knowing how people do things <laughs> like how they make stuff um and I'm just wondering like it, can you like peel back the curtain a little bit and talk about like what like are there parts of your of writing that you feel like you really struggle with or in other parts that you feel like are really easy for you like is that something you can articulate? I mean, I feel like I, on different days, I struggle with different aspects of it. There's always there's always a fair bit of struggle, you know, and sometimes you have a day where you're just like, you're kind of in the groove and things are just kind of zooming along and you're having a lot of fun writing like a really spiky conversation between two or more people. And it's just like, they're kind of bouncing off each other and you're just, this is, I'm having fun hanging out with my imaginary friends. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you get I get really stuck in a first draft and just have to kind of like thrash around and ask myself a bunch of like random questions to figure out where I'm going with this and what the point of any of this is and why I'm doing this. And sometimes I have to just kind of like take a step back. I find the revision part of it often just excruciating. Like you get a, you get like a really, you get a draft that you're happy with and then you're like, okay, now I've got to go back in and tear up the floorboards and like, you know, strip all the paint and like 
put in an extra wing of this house and like all this cool stuff I came up with has got to go and I've got to replace it with something else. And, you know, there's always that time where you're just like, I really need to just rethink this entire thing. And it's super painful. It's it's often, I just got done doing that with the sequel to Victories Greater Than Death. And it was just like, it was, it got really, really excruciating for a while there. Just like, cause I felt like I was moving through treacle. Like I was just like, every day just like grappling with stuff and eventually i did i think get it into shape but oof it was tough yeah that sounds brutal um okay last question so as a reader uh i like when i'm done with a book that i really loved like i will miss those characters like i'll miss that family i'll miss those people um and do you ever like, and I've spent so much less time with these characters than a writer of them or the like person who created them. Do you, do you get that same feeling as an author? You know, not so much. I'm always, I guess I'm just always excited to move on to the next thing. And I feel like oftentimes when I get done with a book or a project, I'm just like, okay, I told the story I wanted to tell about this person or these people. And I'm just kind of like, okay, moving on. And like, I feel like I often will have characters that are like a little bit echoes of characters I've written before too. Like just because you have, you only have so many voices that you can do and so many kind of personalities that you can summon as a writer. Like I think that even the most versatile writer is going to keep kind of doing things that are kind of like, that are reminiscent of their past stuff. So it's not something that, I mean, you know, every now and then I do kind of dip back into writing about characters that I wrote about in the past, but uh, it's actually interesting to be writing sequels for the first time in my career, like writing sequels to Victories Greater Than Death is like a very different like feeling of just like, okay, now I really have to take these characters who already had a journey. I have to take them on even more of a journey and kind of find, keep finding new stuff to say about them. And it's been actually really fun, but it's it's a really new thing to me. Yeah. Wow. Well, that sounds amazing. I can't wait to read the sequel. <laughs> Yay. Thanks. Um why don't you go ahead and plug all of all of the things you have coming up this year and like where folks can find you? Oh, man. So uh, April 13th, which may or may not be before or after you read this, April 13th is Victories Greater Than Death, which is my young adult uh, debut. And it's about, we already talked about it. And then in <laughs> August, I've got Never Say You Can't Survive, which is my book of essays about surviving hard times. The, the title is taken from one of my favorite Curtis Mayfield albums. And it's just, you know, they were serialized, the essays were serialized last year at tour.com. And now it's a vastly revised and improved version of them. And I think it's, I I, I think I managed to like, kind of get some stuff down about like, how I use writing to deal with like, scary, terrible, awful times, like some of the times we've been living through. And then in November, there's uh, Even Greater Mistakes, my short story collection, which is kind of like a career retrospective and also just like a kind of a weird variety pack of bonkers stories from my career. Amazing. And y'all, just so you know, in case you don't, that uh, pre-ordering books that you are excited about really helps authors a lot. So, um, you know, pre-order Charlie Jane's books, but also if you see your author, like your favorite authors coming out with books or anything that you're interested in, a pre-order makes a world of difference. Um, so yeah, 
Thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about all the things. It's been such a pleasure and I'd love to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. This was just like a thrill and a privilege and an honor. And like, this is just the best clubhouse ever. And I'm just so <laughs> happy to be Thank here. Thank you so much. Good luck, with, um, good luck with the rest of your tour. I hope you have many more rum sugary delights in your future. Oh, I sure hope so too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. 